Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Rick Mon is locked and loaded on today's news talk radio, TNT. Yes, it's uh, TNT time. Today's news talk, and it is locked and loaded. I am Rick Munn, and uh, so yeah, still got another 56 minutes to go before I clock off for the day, and I'm going to try and squeeze as much magic in there as I possibly can. I'm going to be talking extensively uh, with our very own Gemma Cooper in just a few minutes' time, so please stay tuned for that. And of course, uh, I'm going to be joined after the headline break at half past the hour by the one and only Darren Denslow, who's going to be beaming in live from London, London, mate, isn't he? He's a geezer. He's down in London. He's in Parliament, actually, and there's uh, some debates and one thing and another going on there that he's covering. So he's going to give us a live update from London. And also, uh, lest I forget, TNT will also be in situ in London for the Julian Assange hearing that is going, due to take place on February the 20th and also the 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether or not Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. And TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice uh, broadcasting live for the duration of the trial, however long that may take. Then uh, TNT will also be broadcasting from various locations throughout London. And of course, we're lighting the fuse for freedom, which is what TNT does. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, that's coming up in the next few weeks. And if you check out our website, tntradio.live, there's a, a banner uh, halfway down the page there, uh, just making people aware of this. So it'll be an interesting and eventful few days down in London and we will be on the ground down there uh, covering all the events as they happen in real time. Now, uh, Paris residents, uh, EVs are never far from the headlines at the minute, uh, or heavy SUVs in this case. Paris residents have voted 54.55% in favour of charging cars weighing more than 1.6 tonnes or more, 18 euro per hour for parking in the city centre or 12 euro further out. Uh, the Paris residents apparently are sick of the sight of these huge SUVs trundling around the streets of Gay Paris. So they want to hammer them with 18 euro an hour parking charges to try and deter them from entering the city. And a lot of the times these SUVs, be honest about it, when you see them, there's usually one person driving and maybe a couple of kids in the back. I've yet to see them packed out to capacity. They can seat seven to 10 people. They're never used to full capacity and they're a pain in the ass to try and navigate them around city streets. So Paris residents are not happy. They want them to be removed. Uh, talked earlier on with Natalie about recruitment and the UK armed forces is dropping off. Our people are leaving faster than they can recruit them. It's the same thing happening with the Irish police. Gardaí are continuing to quit the force in large numbers and figures indicate the record resignations of 2023 will actually be surpassed this year in 2024. And in the first uh, three weeks of January alone, which is uh, January just passed, 17 officers tendered their resignations and notices to quit. So again, this is under the watch, the evil wicked watch of Helen McEntee, the so-called justice minister, where there's a problem with crime, where there's a problem with the police, where there's a problem, period. Helen McEntee is never too 
far away. So uh, Irish police are suffering uh, with recruitment woes in the same way that the British Armed Forces are, uh, are, are also suffering from recruitment woes. They're losing more people than they're bringing in, which is not good, consider they have targets to meet. And of course, if they're not meeting those targets, our safety could be at risk. So things to bear in mind uh, as we pause, we meditate and we reflect and come back for more just after this short break here on TNT, today's news talk. Russia, gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's news talk radio, TNT. You can totally understand, Jim. I think uh, people's, how would you say, apathy towards wanting to join the armed forces used to be, you know, it wasn't difficult to get young people, especially teenagers leaving school, maybe leaving school at 16, uh, wanting to know what to do with life. Armed forces was waiting there. We'll teach you a trade. We'll teach you a vocation. We'll send you around the world. We'll give you a nice pension to retire on. It was attractive for young people. It was attractive maybe to be a cop. You know, you had a good pay. Uh, you know, you got you got reasonably well treated. Doesn't seem to be the case anymore. There's not really much to attract people into these professions anymore. No, and I think the, the problem is with the recruitment drives back, you know, 10, 20 years ago is that they were sold very much on what you've just said. You know, we'll give you a trade and you can travel mm -hmm. the world and we'll give you a pension. Yeah, you forgot to mention about the killing people and being injected with things that you don't want to be injected with because you're in the army now and you have to do what you're told. Uh, and, and having to sign the Official Secrets Act and seeing the lies behind the scenes, you know, they forgot to tell them that. Um, mm. And I think that's really the issue here is that, you know, it's sold as this wonderful thing and then people go into it and come out and start telling other people, mm, I wouldn't do it again. Um, and, and, you know, there is no appetite for it now. And the police as well, I mean, the police have been decimated by cuts across the UK. I remember Boris Johnson had to say, I oh, will bring in 20,000 extra officers uh, because of Bobby's on the beat were just decimated by policing cuts, but then they were expecting this huge like a recruitment, you know, tsunami, and they were quite surprised. Those, those vacancies have still yet to be filled, some of them. So there is a lack of appetite for for people kind of joining those those what were considered, you know, very respectable fields. I think those days are gone now. Yeah, we had actually a, a, an ex policeman on um, Open Line yesterday, uh, John Porter from uh, Chasing Descent, and uh, he was talking about how this, the Bobby on the beat or the, the, you know, in any local area or any local neighborhood, you would expect a visible police presence on the street just to make people aware that there were police in the area. It could be a deterrent for crime. You know, if you see the, the cop milling around the shops, you're less likely maybe to commit a crime. But of course, cops were gathering local knowledge at that stage as well. Uh, they formed relationships with people. And sometimes, you know, a lot of cops did a lot of good work with disenfranchised you simply by being nice to them and showing an interest in them. What are you guys doing or how's life going? You know, and then they're thinking, well, I'm less likely to do something bad because he's not a bad old stick. He's not a bad old cop, but they don't have that anymore, Gemma. Uh, you don't see, I don't see any visible police police presence on the streets anywhere near where I live at the minute. Uh, occasionally you see them driving around in cars, always on their mobile phones, by the way, there's someone driving and then the, the passenger cop is usually on the mobile phones or they're stopped up at a fast food restaurant uh, late at night uh, getting themselves a fish supper. That's just what I'm seeing. I'm not saying every police person is like that, but what I'm saying is that's my visibility experience when it comes to police now, not the way it used to be. No. And uh, interestingly, the Home Secretary, James Cleverly, he announced last week, and I was discussing this actually, I think with Sonia Poulton uh, on the TNT UK breakfast show, he announced this whole package of measures to bring back the bobbies on the beat. And, uh, and he was giving an address to all the 43 police chiefs 
here in the UK, you know, the bosses of all 43 forces. He does it once, the Home Secretary does it once a year. This was James Cleverley's first opportunity as Home Secretary to address the chiefs of the forces. And they all said, you know, there's been this horrendous blurring of, of preventative, uh, proactive policing, which is community policing, like you said, you know, once you're in the community, you can spot problems before they occur. Mm -hmm. um, and then criminal policing. And he said the resources that have been dragged away from community policing to just deal with criminal incidents, you know, like a, a fight in the city centre or allegations of rape or, you know, things that you have to go to. Uh, so, of course, there's no one left to deal with burglaries. There's no one to monitor, you know, what the local scallies are getting up to. There's no one to be part of the community. The trouble is, of course, Rick, is that Policing and largely in part comes out of our council tax payments. And, and, and we all know that our councils are completely cash strapped. The most of them are on the verge of going bankrupt for various different reasons, equal play claims, you know, money spent on initiatives that nobody asks for and all kinds of things. But of course, that policing part of the budget is being, I think, given reading between the lines, siphoned off to pay for the fact that, you know, you've got chief executives of councils that need to be, their salaries need to be paid. It all comes out of, you know, council tax. Um, so that policing element for local policing has. I think been gone for quite some time. So James Cleverly in an election year, of course, is saying, we'll bring back the bobbies on the beat. Yeah, where are you going to find the money, mate? You know, where are you mm. going to find the money? Because it doesn't seem to be any for it. You have to divert it from somewhere else. And, you know, of course, it's our money in the end. We should have a say where it goes. But you're quite right. There is no community policing anymore. And your, your guest was quite right, too. It's a thing of the past. They want to bring it back. But has trust irrevocably broken down mm. between the, the public and the police? Yeah, and the money side of things too. Uh, we covered Bracknell City or Bracknell Councillor, uh, you know, talking about increasing council tax rates uh, that show uh, spending gaps or plug spending gaps that they've already had. And of course, services suffer and people are paying for things really that they shouldn't be paying for because of mismanagement of local authority funds. Uh, on the theme of police and justice and law and order, uh, sadly, uh, a bit of a horror story here from Scotland, a chap called Alan Marshall, prison officer uh, immunity over death was incorrect. So this is somebody that died horribly uh, in custody back in 2015 when he was just 30 years of age. Uh, but a decision was made back then to grant immunity uh, from prosecution to the prison officers responsible. Uh, what's the background of this one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a horrible case and reading through the the the, the facts of it, it it's, really, it's quite upsetting actually, I found. But yeah, Alan Marshall, you're quite right. He was 30. He was in prison in Edinburgh. He was on remand, which is, you know, in the UK, they put you on remand when you're waiting a further court case date or a further trial. You haven't been convicted. You haven't been found guilty of anything. You're just on remand. It means you haven't got bail. So he was on remand in, uh, in police uh, custody uh, in HMP Edinburgh. Um, and he, he became agitated. He had to be restrained um, and he was restrained, but by up to 17 different officers and, uh, throughout the course of this restraining process. Um, and he suffered a cardiac arrest as a result of the restraint and he died in hospital four days later. Now, at the time, the Crown Office um, made some decisions. Now, the Crown Office is like the Scotland's public prosecution service. So they, they oversee what goes on within the police and the prisons. Um, and they 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 said at the time they were going to make the prison officers concerned immune from prosecution. They didn't really see that there was much to investigate. Well, there's since been a review into this case, which is more than 10 years ago now. Uh, and the review says, you know, all those decisions were wrong, um, that the police who were called to investigate what happened with the restraining officers and this, this poor man didn't carry out a thorough investigation, didn't ask the right questions, and that the decision taken at the time to make all 17 officers, prison officers, immune from prosecution that's the first time this happened in a death mm -hmm. in custody um, was wrong it was wrong it's not going to bring this man back 
Uh, this So this review has come out. It's not been published publicly, but it has been leaked. So these details are coming out. Um, and it says that all of the decisions pretty much taken were incorrect, especially in light of the CCTV evidence, which shows mm. the quite severe and, and you know, some would say excessive use mm. of feet on this prisoner. Mm. Uh, feet and stamping is not how prison officers are trained to restrain, mm. retrain to re restrain um, prisoners. Uh, he was basically stamped on, one officer says he stamped on him uh, up to 10 times, which he later mm. admitted was wrong. And none of this came out at the time, you know. 17 officers were involved in restraining this 30-year-old man. Normally, an expert has said, you get three. Three is enough to restrain one person. Why there were 17 here, why they were stamping on him, and why they were all given immunity from prosecution, this is what is ongoing. The investigation is still ongoing. Police Scotland have apologised to the man's family. His aunt is still campaigning for justice. Um, and there have been, it's quite shocking figures, in that five-year period from 2014 to 2019, there were 135 deaths in Scottish police custody. That's an average of 27 a year. Figures for the UK as a whole between 2022 and 2023 are 23 deaths in, in, in police custody. And I'm not a fan of surveillance culture at all, but I think mm. in this one we have got the CCTV to thank yeah. for the fact that this review has come out because it isn't pleasant. It is very shocking seeing these big men surround this man uh, stamping on him, uh, restraining him. He died. Uh, and, and there were many questions at the time and the answers are only just coming out now. So let's hope this family, the family of this man gets some justice. Those figures as well, 23 deaths a year in police custody, you know, between 2022 and 2023, I think was the years that you quoted there. You know, the year, I suppose, isn't relevant. It's the number. Uh, that's roughly two a month, Gemma-ish. So every two weeks of the year, somebody dies in police custody. You absolutely do not hear about that in headlines. This guy here, sadly, there's a picture of him uh, in the article uh, in a pub. He's holding a drink. He's smiling from ear to ear. He doesn't look like a big guy, Gemma. He was only 30 years of age. And I understand he had an underlying heart condition, okay, which could, could have contributed to this as well. However, uh, a restraint expert, and this is what I was thinking as well when I saw the still of the footage, if it takes 17, 17 grown-ass men to restrain one reasonably frail 30-year-old with a heart condition, irrespective of how belligerent he's being, uh, there's something seriously wrong with that. Those people are either uh, malicious or they're completely incompetent at doing their job. Uh, a restraint expert, uh, Mr. Henry, Trevel Henry, uh, said it should have took no more than three men properly trained to properly and safely restrain this guy. Yet we have 17 men, and one of which you've uh, 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 said there in his own words, he stamped on him at least 10 times during the course of that. Why would you need to stamp on a man who's being held down and suffocated by 16 other men unless you were just a wicked, nasty individual? It didn't contribute anything towards his restraint. Stamping on someone is an act of uh, malice and aggression. It's not an act of restraint. You don't restrain someone by stamping on them, do you? No, and there was a witness uh, statement from a fellow prisoner who saw the attack, I think, from his cell, and he said that the poor Mr. Marshall was, you know, screaming out in shrill pain and like like an animal. And he said he was just he was just must have been convulsed with pain. And then they mm -hmm. saw the light go out of his eyes, and allegedly uh, the police, uh, the prison officers, stood around looking at each other, looking like what the have we done, you know, uh -huh. um, gone too far. But it does beg the question about every single police death. I mean, I remember the 70s and 80s, I live in the part of um, the UK where there was a lot of tension between the black community and the police in the 70s and 80s in part of Bristol. And the number of deaths in police custody was sky high. 
sky high and all loads of unanswered questions about what happened to people in the backs of police vans and you know the, through the 70s and 80s i don't know if you have this in ireland but northern ireland mm. but there was this joke about police police taking people black people in um and saying oh you know what happened fell down the stairs sarge oh okay stamped mm -hmm. it off what happened fell down the stairs sarge you know it was the stock in trade oh you slipped you know, and it makes you wonder what has gone on with these figures, like you say, two a month. And they're the ones that are official. What about there are many more deaths in police custody attributed to drugs and suicides and, uh, you know, all kinds of issues. Well, you know, we're told the official figures. What's the real story here and why? Why does it take so many people to retrain? He clearly had mental health issues. He had a psych He said uh -huh. somebody in the report said he should have had psychiatric treatment. He was clearly agitated. But no, let's just stamp the man to death. That's what it looks it's like. That's what it looks and like. And then grant these guys uh, or these people that committed this uh, immunity from prosecution. And then you've got his family who've been campaigning from, what, 2015? That's nine years now they've been campaigning just to get it to this stage. And I don't know if they can go back and undo that immunity from prosecution or take a private case against these people. But that could drag on for years as well. And in the meantime, this poor guy's dead and his family are grieving. And it's just like an open wound for them. But alas, uh, that's not the only instance of this. Uh, we've got to take a little break. Uh, for an ad right now but when we come back Gemma's going to stay on and I have another story that's breaking news here from Ireland about another man that's died in uh, police custody and we use that term very very loosely uh, withholding medication from the guy prescription medication that caused him to die uh, again another fatality in police custody we're going to look at that when we come back after the short break here on TNT today's TNT's Patrick Henningsen Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably, in terms of conflicts, uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted uh, a number of years. And only in the last three months are we scraping 100 on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. TNTradio.live Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Okay, so following on from uh, the back of that story about that uh, tragic 
death, uh, it, it didn't even call it a death, it looked like a murder to me, uh, or at least manslaughter anyway, but uh, immunity from prosecution and all that. Uh, I have another story here, Gemma, from the Irish uh, Mirror. This was uh, published just this week. A 42-year-old man died uh, in police custody, having never been in prison before. Garda discovered a 10-year-old bench warrant uh, following a minor traffic accident. So this is a guy who was just driving his car, had a little prang, and when the cops ran his identity, or his race let license plate through the thing they found a bench warrant from 10 years ago uh, that he should have been arrested so he'd never been arrested before uh, so they brought him into custody 42 years of age he collapsed and died in a holding cell at the courts of justice moments after asking prison officers for medication that he required they had been put in a locker okay according to a report published the man was arrested uh, begged for medication and was told we can't give that to you because there is no nurse present he then pleaded with him he said if i don't take this i could die they still refuse to give him the medication and he's dead as a result of that another death in police custody when they had his medication there he was pleading for it and they said no can't do that because we need a nurse present that's more important than you actually staying alive we need to dot the i's and cross the t's this is another disgusting case of uh, death in custody yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we were just talking about this before the break, you know, and the figures are quite shocking and the UK as a whole, two, two a month, the official figures. Um, what will they attribute this? I mean, have they attributed this officially to a death in custody? I suppose they can't really not uh, if there's absolute refusal to give the man the medication. And you have to mm -hmm. ask yourself, is it the personal characteristics of the people involved? That, that, that are enabling this, uh, causing this behavior? Or is it the training that they are given once they join the police service or the prison service mm -hmm. that takes their little bit of humanity out of mm -hmm. them and means it is dot the I's and cross the T's? Mm -hmm. You know, there's been a big debate about the police and by extension, you know, prison service is an extension of this, you know, justice system of, of, of in the freedom rally marches of 2020 and 2021, especially the types of people being recruited into the police to deal with dissent. And some in the freedom movement were arguing about the kind of narcissistic, psychopathic tendencies of some of the officers. They seem to be devoid of any humanity at all. Mm -hmm. So it's an argument of, is it personal characteristics or or the professional training that just takes away your compassion and your empathy. I mean, whatever the circumstances, these people are still people. And both of these cases, the one that you've illustrated and the one that I was talking about, these people hadn't actually been convicted. Mm -hmm. They had the, mm -hmm. my, the guy I talked about was on remand for alleged breach of the police, uh, peace, sorry. It hadn't been proven. He hadn't had a court date. You know, mm -hmm. this guy had a bench warrant for 10 years ago. I mean, obviously, what he done? You know, we don't know. Was it a traffic offence? Was it speeding? You know, and they're both uh, dead. They're both dead, and none of them had actually. There were neither of them were criminals. Um, there was a case we we reported on last week where a girl had been uh, abused, and WhatsApp messages had been posted from police body cam footage. She was actually the victim of an assault. They arrested her, manhandled her, and then she was in a state of half nakedness. They videoed it, put it on a WhatsApp group, and mocked her body. She was actually the victim of an assault, not the perpetrator of an assault. And then there's been a whole hullabaloo over that. A whistleblower came out uh, and uh, and told on his colleagues, and the whistleblower was sacked and the people that were responsible for making derogatory comments about this lady with mental health issues were simply let off with a slight reprimand. This case uh, that we're talking about here, Gemma, a little bit more details here. When he was arrested, 
uh, by appointment at a Gardaí station in uh, December of 2021. This happened. Explicit details of his illness and prescribed medication were provided to the police, according to his family. Uh, it was noted that one of his medications was self-administered injection that he required at specific times throughout the day. So this was all on note. This had been explicitly explained when he went, and he actually turned himself in uh, uh, when he was uh, the warrant was put out for him. So he didn't put up a fight. He wasn't a valid person never been in custody before told him i need to self-administer an injection a few times a day to keep me alive and then when the call came and he needed it a job's worth basically decided well our policy says if there's no nurse present i don't know about you but i would be prepared to risk my job rather than risk his life you know take your phone out and video it okay so you're telling me you need this and if you don't get this you're going to die i can't take any chances there's the needle you know would you take the chance that the man dies when he's pleading for his life i, I wouldn't jim i'd rather lose my job over that than see a man die well, I mean, absolutely. And that's the reason I'm here at TNT is I've, I've always stood up for what I believed in, you know, because that's what my mum and dad taught me to do. And if you can't be true to yourself and your values, you're not living an authentic life. Forget it. And if you're not being true to someone else's values, you know, so I would take it on face value. If somebody said I need to inject myself, I would let the guy inject mm -hmm. himself, you know. And actually now with the case I was talking about is that the, the Scottish police and the, the prison service are being, there's an, the Scottish police are being called to see if the prison service and the prison officers should be prosecuted now for corporate manslaughter. I mean, this investigation that I was talking about is still ongoing you know, mm -hmm. 11 years later because they still haven't got to the bottom of this. But of course, yeah, if you're a human being, you would take the chance because you're going to go to your deathbed with that mm -hmm. on your conscience that you, somebody died in front of you because you were too scared of what your boss might say. I, I would walk, I would let the, I'd hang the consequences, but that's yeah. me and that's you. And we're particular people with particular mm -hmm. set of self-confidence and values. Mm -hmm. I don't know where other people are coming from sometimes in the world, but to not let someone take medication there's something seriously wrong, isn't there? Something seriously wrong there. It is. And don't forget, Gemma, this medication was actually in the police station. The syringes were there. The medication was there. It was locked away in a locker with instructions that had been provided to the police. But their excuse was that when the handover was done from the police to the uh, uh, the custody people, that the place that he was actually being held in, that information wasn't passed on, but the medication was there. So, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say if somebody's pleading for a syringe and some medication, and you can see the syringe and the medication there, it's fair to say that they're not making it up they haven't fabricated a story because their medication is actually on site you then have to make that call do i withhold it or not and in this case the guy said well we need a nurse present or else you can't get it next thing the guy's dead this happened back in 2021 and again sets in motion a years and years and years long process to try and get justice for a dead relative uh, he wasn't even a criminal in the first place Holy heavens, you can nearly enough run a week's worth of stories on the, these police custody deaths. Well, they're actually happening at a rate of, what, two a month anyway. Uh, literally, you could fill them uh, this year up with them. But uh, we've got a pause there now and a massive thanks to you, Gemma, uh, for those uh, input on that story and, of course, bringing the previous one to us. That's Gemma Cooper. She'll be back in the next hour with James Freeman. Got to take a headline break now on the mighty, the mythical, the wonderful, the legendary Darren Denslow will be beaming in live from Landon, mate. Landon, he's a geezer. He'll be back after the break, so don't go away. This is TNT, today's news talk. Big news, 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 news. A story which contains more than first meets the ear. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. 
The Pentagon says Iranian-backed militants continue to fire rockets at US forces in the Middle East. Less than a year and a half after he ascended the throne, Britain's King Charles III has been diagnosed with cancer. God save the king! God save the king! And former US President Donald Trump says he's confident he can flip blue Democratic states ahead of the upcoming presidential election. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And yes, it's that special time of the week again. It's a Tuesday morning. That means it's Denslow time. It's Didi Denslow time. Darren is very kindly. Uh, he's on a road trip at the minute. He's down in London. He's been in Parliament. He's doing all sorts of shenanigans and skullduggery down there. Very kindly taking time out of this morning to hop on to have a chat with me. Darren, what the hell are you doing in London, mate? What are you doing outside of Plymouth? I know, and it's not down to London. Yeah, they won't be down to London for you, but for me, it's up to London. Up to yeah, <laughs> I have gone, I've travelled for a promotion, I have travelled up north, as we say, because it's uh, it's more northerly than Ivy Bridge, which is a little village just outside of Plymouth. Uh, yeah, I, I got um, I got invited, I was very uh, quite honoured to be honest, uh, invited to a parliamentary meeting yesterday evening at five o'clock, uh, inside Westminster. So it's the first time that I've ever been inside the parliamentary buildings myself so that that was quite a quite a thing you know it's quite a thing just to be inside but this is the center of power of the uk uh and it's exactly almost like i imagined in how it looked how the buildings looked very old very sort of gothic noir architecture uh very big massively splendid and there's one thing i did notice as well and i was very concerned about it before i went in um was the security uh very tight security police arms police absolutely everywhere uh where i visited every doorway there was a police officer with a gun security airport style security uh, i got rid of all my little pen knives and contraband etc before i went in and i still thought they were going to properly search me at one point so i was a little bit nervous because uh yeah uh, anyway so i went in uh, Andrew bridget was there uh christine hansen uh, a, a, a doctor from the USA called Meryl Nass, she was very good, mm. uh, and mm. Philip Cruz, who was a lawyer from Switzerland. Uh, the main topic of discussion for the two hours, the, the, the talks that they gave and the slides that they gave were on the WHO pandemic treaty. Again, this is coming down the road at us uh, particularly fast. We're only sort of 15 months away before it could be fully signed off by most of the nations in the world unless people speak out about it. Uh, they talked about briefly about excess deaths and vaccines, uh, the general election uh, to confirm. I've been saying this on TNT now for about four or five months that it's going to be an early general election, probably before May elections. I was being stupid. No, it's going to be on the May local elections here in the UK on May the 2nd. It will be announced probably six or seven weeks, uh, which is the which is the election period. Six weeks is the, is the sort of legal election period time that you, you'll have for campaigning. So expect some point, probably at the beginning of April, end of March, uh, an announcement by Rishi Sunak that there is going to be a general election in the UK 
on May the 2nd. I think that's almost now 99% certain. It is the question that I specifically asked Andrew Bridgen yesterday. Uh, and I'm trying to get that video onto, t- on, onto Twitter, but uh, the internet where I am is a little bit ropey. And so it's, uh, oh, let's say you can't put that video up. There's a block on it. I'm not sure. Uh, but I've been unable to load that up. But there is, I have recorded stereotypically all the footage uh, and everything that was said in these meetings and i will try to get that out to the public as soon as possible right well what we're going to do is we're going to rewind back and it's pretty much the start of what uh, you were saying there because you packed an awful lot of information into that statement that you made that lengthy statement but very important uh, topics that you're covering there uh, let's go back as far as well you talked about increased security there's armed police everywhere do you think that's normal or is it just because the word in the street was that Darren Denslow was coming up from Plymouth. Do you think that's what was resulted in increased police presence at Westminster yesterday? So I actually bought a spy camera off Amazon. I'm not sure if I to say this. And I talked about it on WhatsApp. And I was going to actually take a spy camera with me uh, just for the crack. And just so I, I thought oh, we we're not allowed to record. We weren't allowed to record. Everybody was recording by the end, so it's fine. But I, I talked about it on WhatsApp and I thought I better be watched. I've been banging on about a revolution, so I didn't take my spy camera. Maybe that's why they had all the extra security. I don't know. It's hard to say whether the security there was normal. Uh, it's actually out in the media at the moment, in the mainstream, about uh, politicians who are in fear for their life, for their safety. They cannot walk down the streets. And what mm. do you expect? It could be that there is a heightened security for that reason it could be heightened security because of a terrorist threat because the stuff going on in the middle east now we've got the protests in gaza uh, so there is a heightened security level here in the uk from islamist threats but i suspect it's probably quite normal uh, and without a doubt and i've worked in Denport world dockyard was an inter- uh, incredibly secure facility it's probably the highest uh the, the most security the most armed security uh, uh and the most stringent security that I've seen for any sort of public-facing building in the UK in my time. Yeah, and, and of course, against the backdrop of a possible election coming up on May the 4th, that's where the smart money is, or at least that's what the word in the street is, you're going to see increased security because, of course, it's going to be a more attractive target and a more, uh, how would you say, opportunistic time to do something to disrupt the perceived political British political pro, uh, process come election time. So I'd say even you'd find that increasing again, Darren, between now and May. You also mentioned uh, the, that uh, Christine Anderson was there uh, over talking about the WHO pandemic treaty. Since you and I have been doing this TNT gig, you know what, for two years ago, we were talking about it way back in uh, March, April time of 2022. It stalled a little bit. It didn't really get off the ground, but the seeds were sown back then. And then there was always a caveat put in that we're going to review. They are going to review that periodically. And here we are two years later. They're still pushing for it, not off the back of COVID, because I think it's a it's a flogging a dead horse with that one. But they're already sowing the seeds of this new disease X and we're already working on the AI vaccines for it. And the next one that comes along, we must have a concerted push and a unified approach to this to save lives and for the common good. So it hasn't gone away. And I know Christine Anderson's one of the people that uh, was a lone voice for a very, very long time over in uh, Brussels. Uh, she's over uh, talking about it, has her line of thinking changed? Is she still as uh, keen to stand up against this as ever? She was quite uh, uh, 
got passionate in her speech yesterday. And, you know, like, as I said, a lot of the focus was on this new pandemic tree. It looks like it's going to be signed off in March. And then there'll be a 12-month or so cooling-off period uh, until March 2025 when it goes into place. And, and what people don't realise about this new pandemic tree, I, I actually learned quite a lot about the new pandemic tree in terms of what its impact will be for the future. And it's not just a case of, oh, they can just say there's a pandemic whenever they want. It's not just for diseases like disease X or COVID that mm-hmm. they can announce a pand- uh, 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 an international health emergency for. It can cover any type of health emergency that you can think of. It could be food-related, which is one mm-hmm. that was specifically mentioned yesterday. What if everybody suddenly starts starving because of farmers' protests, for example, or because they want us to eat insects and therefore they call an international health emergency then the who can come in and effectively dictate to nations now Mm -hmm. it doesn't take away sovereignty from nations this who pandemic treaty but if you sign up to it and then the who says you've got a lockdown you need to have vaccines for your starvation we've got got an mrna vaccine for your starvation then um and and the uk says no we don't want to we don't want to go ahead with it uh then effectively we're breaking international law and then there'll be consequences for that and in particular for smaller nations that have signed up to this we say oh we didn't want to lock down we didn't think that was uh, part of the deal when we signed this treaty um i suspect they'll be fearful of going against the pandemic treaty because of the consequences of breaking international law if that makes any sense and then finally i know we've got to go to a break not only can the who literally arbitrarily just just say oh there's a pandemic it also decides when that ends and therefore how long any restrictions or measures that are imposed on the public last for. We really, really need to get this out to the, to the general malaise of people to say, hey, this is coming down the line. The MPs aren't interested and it's likely to be signed off in the UK before the general election when we get a Starmer government coming and there's probably very little we can do about that signatory. Oh, man, it doesn't even bear thinking about it. Uh, we're going to take a pause, as you've rightly said. Let's look at that possible well, there's pretty much only one likely outcome to the next general election but i think uh, a lot of seeds have been sown now towards uh, the future uh, a lot of people talking about independence uh, there needs to be a sweeping of the the board we need a new political system if you're into politics let's look at possible outcomes and time scales when we come back after this short break with uh, the one and only dd denslow here live uncensored and unscripted on TNT today's news. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. 
Now, I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now, the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. But remember, there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world for any animal, any disaster. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. This is Lock and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT. Darren is uh, joining us live from London. Uh, he's out and about. Uh, he was in Westminster yesterday listening to some uh, debates going on to do with the WHO, the World Health Organization's alleged or not, not alleged, proposed pandemic treaty that they're still trying to punt through. Could be through on a trial basis for at least 12 months imminently. Uh, obviously, we need to make people aware of that. Another thing that we need to make people aware of is the fact that if there is a general election called in the next, what, uh, 12 weeks, less than 12 weeks, uh, it could be a massive change happening in the UK, not next year or the year after that, but as, as soon as, what, uh, May, June time of this year, it's not very far away, Darren. We could have a, a Starmer a government, a Labour government in the UK. Again, it's been over, it's been well over a decade since we had the Tony Blair government. We're going to have another Tony Blair government from May the 3rd, effectively. And, you know, you've only got to have a look at Biden's USA of the last four years if you want to know what's coming to the UK with a Starmer government. And, and it's coming quick. Uh, uh, Andrew Bridgen's words when I asked about why is no one challenging Sunak on his lies with regards to saying that the vaccine is safe, Andrew Bridgen said he no longer cares. He doesn't care. He just wants to cut and run. And that's the same probably for many of the other Conservative MPs and a whole load of Labour MPs. And, and I, I, you know, I, I can't say what's going to happen with the Starmer government. I suspect it'll be what we've had with the Conservative government, but on steroids. Mm. Uh, and the, the the thing is, Darren, uh, you know, you've been trying to come up with alternatives. You've run uh, independently, even for uh, Plymouth Council. You've tried to get out there and uh, make a difference. Danny Bamping, who we've had on the show, he's done the same thing. He's tried his level best uh, to try and make a change with local politics. The problem is that the people who need to be in power, independent, uh, unfettered, independent, sorry, and uncompromised independence are the people that are least likely to get in because people tend to vote for, you know, traditional uh, parties or died in the wood parties like the Tories or the, the, the Labour Party. So it's always going to be a red and blue race, like in the UK this year. It's going to be a red and blue race, of course, in America. There's a lot of elections happening right across the world this year. It's that old, you know, perceived opposition. But in reality, there is no opposition. They're just basically piping uh, the same tune off the same hymn sheet. 
I, it's too early. Uh, not too early, too late. It's too late to make that change now. Let's be honest, nothing's going to happen significantly with independents running for election between now and the 5th of May or the 4th of May. However, I think there is a shift going on where people do, more people now are becoming aware of the necessity of sweeping the plate clean and possibly maybe at the next set of elections we could see something changing but let's be honest about it that's a long way away and there's a lot of damage that the Labour Party can do in the next five years I shudder to think what damage what carnage they can inflict on the UK in the space of five years it's a frightening prospect when you think about things like immigration, for example. Uh, we're worried about uh, illegal immigration into the UK at the moment under a Conservative government. Go and have a look at what's happening in the southern border in the USA. They're, they're, they're just being shipped in uh, by the hundreds of thousands every month. We can see some. We can see an increase in illegal immigration into this country, and we can see that happening overnight the woke stuff the transgender stuff the indoctrinations uh indoctrination that's going on uh of our children in schools um uh, the, the the economic side you know starmer's coming out saying oh, i'm going to be great for business uh i'm going to you know i'm going to do all this stuff for business mm. yeah it's going to be more money printing we're going to have more people on benefits um i i i i, I, I shudder to think i really do shudder to think and i don't know what the answer will be in the next 12 to 13 weeks that we can what we can do it as a public uh, and as individuals to prevent a labor government coming in to prevent a conservative government coming in so we are looking at another five years of the turmoil that we have seen in this country uh, over the last five years and longer uh, I, it, 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 I don't i don't i don't see any way out of this rick i don't know where we can go uh yeah it's grim to be honest with you it's grim but uh for what it's worth it is making a lot of people it's shaking them and jolting them and i think if they're not uh, jolted into consciousness over how bad this is actually going to be it won't take long for Starmer to be in situ assuming of course that we're we're, we're assuming and predicting that he is going to win the next general election who knows what's going to happen but worst case scenario he does get in it ain't going to take a year or two before people feel the pinch of the star government i think we're going to start seeing crazy policies being implemented from day one you can remember uh when biden came in over trump the first thing that he well the first thing trump did when he was uh president was undo most of what barack obama did then the first thing that biden did literally on day one was undo most of what trump did and mm -hmm. now trump has said that if he gets back in again this year he's going to undo everything that uh biden has done it's just this constant undoing of the predecessor i think uh starmer's going to waste no time in getting his uh fingers and claws and fangs into the uk in many many ways uh, uh, it'll be quick and i think it'll be breathtaking yeah and all of these things so you know oh it's great trump's gonna come in and, and he's gonna deport the illegal immigrants that's great it costs money and then in four years you get a left-leaning government coming in they're going to reverse all those policies that trump put in just as starmer's gonna he's probably not going to really reverse too many of sunak's policies he's probably just going to embellish them but they come in and change and start their authority it all costs money there's never any continuity or consistency in the direction that our country's 
our country's traveling uh, and you know so Starmer's is going to come in stamp his authority it's going to cost taxpayers loads of money at a time when all points are converging on an economic crisis like the world has never seen before you've only got to look at the us or uk or any western economy's debt uh, it's all about a collapse and we've got the absolute worst people possible in power and then you put one more little uh, dash uh, into that ointment uh, and that's that we're at war on a couple of fronts at the moment moment or at least we're on the verge of war the uk direct war on a couple of fronts in the middle east and eastern europe who knows what's going to happen with taiwan if anyone thinks that starmer's coming in uh with uh the, the background and, and the, the way that he practices his particular version of religion uh, without saying too much then um you know that it's quite likely we are going to see more wars coming from the people of love on the left yeah, and it's only what we're in into February now. Uh, it's fair to say that 2024 will be an absolute jam-packed year, probably for all the wrong reasons. We thought 2023 was a lull of sorts until October came around. You know, things were dying off on the COVID front. They were dying off on the on the Ukraine front. Then, of course, October 7th happened. That set everything in motion in the Middle East. Now we're in the election years on the backdrop of increasing tensions in the Middle East. And we haven't had that Taiwan-China mooted uh you know invasion yet and we haven't had a cyber attack yet that's another thing that's been trialed and modeled and punted around we haven't had the pinch tesco's uh machines went down this week and uh, they were telling customers you might want to bring cash otherwise you won't be getting any groceries people were weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth at the thought of not being able to swipe their cards or you know uh flick their pin numbers in to pay for their groceries so i don't know uh there's that to factor in as well Another uh, on the immigration or the illegal immigration front, this is actually published in GovUK's website. So this is straight from the government here. Uh, UK and France agree to closer cooperation on this issue. So they will go, in their words, the government's words, even further and faster in tackling illegal immigration and build even closer law enforcement and security cooperation ties in 2024. So they say they're going to go faster, but they're not going at all. Okay, and they say they're going further. They haven't went anywhere. And they say they're going to be working closer, but they're not working at all. Where are they getting this spin from, Darren? Saying the same thing. I mean, I remember back in the, you know, the 2010s with the, the camps in Calais and, uh, and the big furore about a few hundred immigrants every now and then managing to break into a truck, get through the tunnel. Oh, closer cooperation of the French. We're going to close down these camps. Uh, and nothing has happened. In fact, we spent hundreds of millions giving it to the French and the French authorities to prevent illegal immigrants getting off their shores on inflatable dinghies, probably bought in France, that we've sold to the French shop after they've arrived here, then uh, nothing's happened. In fact, we've had a massive, we spent what, 500 million, half a billion pounds we've given to the French to stop immigration. And what have we seen? Tens of thousands of percent increase in the numbers of people who are arriving here. That money's been spent to ship them here, not prevent them coming here. It's a classic case of inversion. And the answer is simple. You brought it up, Rick. Put the Navy in, in, in there. It's going to cost us any extra. They're already paying for our Navy. Just stick it. One frigate would probably resolve the channel crossings. And I have to say this, and I've been saying it quite a lot on social media, Dover's a distraction. All those brown and black boat people faces getting off boats mm. and disappearing or getting rounded up by the immigration services, a thousand a month. Then another three or four thousand a month coming in through airports, through tunnels, through 
in, in the back of trucks, in the top of cars, uh, underneath cars, uh, in a variety of different ways through other ports, including here in Plymouth. The border security force boats have been seen off the shores here on Plymouth Ho uh, in the seafront. I've never, ever seen that. And I walk that shoreline every day, apart from when I'm in London. So uh, that is a distraction. But nevertheless, it needs to be stopped. We can stop it. So why are we giving £500 million every now and then to the French just so they can send more across to us? You know, there was a story I covered here about two weeks ago where a shipping container uh, full of uh, you know people being trafficked into Ireland was intercepted at uh, a harbour in, in, in Ireland. Now, here's the thing. The people were suffocating in the back. That someone actually had a mobile phone and phoned the UK police to say, listen, we don't know where we are. We're in a container. There's 14 of us. Uh, there's a couple of kids in here. We're suffocating to death. Can you help? And they, they traced the number and they found it in a shipping container in Ireland. Then the British police had to phone the Irish Harbour Police to locate this lo the tr uh, container. They opened it up. The people came out. There was 14 people, right? They took them into uh, processing centers. Eight of them then disappeared. They just disappeared. And when Irish police were asked, are you tracking these people down? They've come into the country. They were in a shipping container. Now, we don't know where they are. Do you know what the Irish police said? We're not looking for them because they're not criminals. Can you imagine that? And they came from Iran, Iraq, and Vietnam. Okay, so that was the demographic that were coming into Ireland in shipping containers. And I think you hit the nail on the head. As bad as it is seeing all those dinghies coming over and landing on Dover, seeing the men piling up the, the pebbles onto buses into hotels or into processing centers how many more are coming in that we don't see in containers or in lorries tip of the iceberg stuff down without a shadow of a doubt because as bad as those uh, land beach landings are it doesn't account for the amount of people that are flooding into the country it's, it's a small percentage and it does another thing i'm a victim of it as well i see these brown and black faces and then i start screaming about africans i start screaming about muslims i start complaining about these people and no doubt there's a percentage of these people who are genuinely bad but it helps perpetuate that divisive narrative the racism right. narratives that the establishment want to push so much when actually they're probably only a small percentage of the illegal immigrants that are coming in the rest are probably white from Romania or, mm -hmm. or the, you know, they're, they're of different nationalities and they're arriving through planes, ripping up their passports, arriving through the Channel Tunnel, ripping their passports up. And that we had 700,000 people, additional people, mostly illegal immigrants coming into the UK last year. Only a small percentage of them arrived by a dinghy. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing is too, by the way, it has to be noted that not everybody that is entering the country illegally is getting the red carpet treatment. Not everybody's being put up in a hotel or repurposed in ireland at the minute uh, people are being given sleeping bags and they're, they're they're springing up tent cities are springing up through many parts of dublin and some of these uh citizen journalists are going out and into these places and actually interviewing the men who are speaking freely about why they're there they said look we've come here because it's we want a better economic future but we've been given a tent and now we've been sleeping on the street for the last 30 days we don't know where we're going to go we can't get work we would like to try and do something these guys are actually roughing it 
living on the streets because they were lied to by the people that were trafficking them there or the government to say, we'll look after you, we'll give you turnkey and combination. And the bubble's bursting for those people as well, which is stoking up tension on their side. You can understand if you'd been promised, if I promised you a house and so much every month and a job to move to London, you get there and I hand you a tent and say, Darren, you're on the streets for the foreseeable future. You're not going to be a happy guy, especially if you paid money to get there in the hope of a brighter future. So it goes both ways. Racial tensions are being stoked up by the mainstream and alternative media, but also the people that are coming in here, as you rightly pointed out, not everybody's a criminal, not everybody's a thug, but they're here because of opportunism. And we would we have attested to this, you and I, before. If we were sitting on a beach somewhere in a, you know Morocco or Libya or somewhere like that, we would be eyeing up the UK and Ireland, you and I. And I would dare say we would be making our way here too, uh, looking for accommodation, looking for benefits that we don't have back home. They're being incentivized, darn by the governments. They're being aided and abetted by the government. The government can do something about this. They're the real enemies in this right across the board. They are the real enemies. 100%. Now, the people who are being imported, because they're being imported into this country, are as much victims as the people of this country having to deal with this influx of, oh, usually African, Middle Eastern, you know, Muslims, with this influx of people from outside of the country that are polluting our culture. Most of them want to work. Most of them are good guys. Not all of them. We don't want them here. We need to look after ourselves first. But actually, everyone is uh, victims and once uh, you, know, you know there's talk of like white genocide those guys are next those guys are the ones who've been put on the street like you said they, they, they're going to be treated as badly if not worse in the future who knows they might even be cannon fodder for the wars that we mentioned earlier man man oh man what a blast eh uh you know it's been action-packed it's been dynamite it's been tnt Trey night repulsion on here this morning not just today's news talk massive thanks to you as always darren for beaming and taking time out of your morning to talk to right. this morning that's the wonderful darren denzel follow him at Wallsnet on twitter or x I'll be back again tomorrow morning with Natalie and, of course, locked and loaded James Freeman is incoming here. Uh, stay tuned for more magic on the one and only TNT Today's News Talk.